Today, we're taking the time to find a little romance in our travels with expert advice from people who know best, our listeners. Hi, I'm Rick Steves, and love's in the air for today's Valentine's edition of Travel with Rick Steves. Traveling together has always had a way of accelerating a romance. We're spending the hour ahead taking your calls and emails to hear about some of the places that you've found to be the perfect setting for the perfect travel partner. We'll trade tips on finding Cupid in exotic places around the world, from Venice to Shanghai. And we'll offer a few suggestions to help plan a honeymoon to some of Europe's most evocative getaways. Later in the hour, our bike adventurer friend, Willie Weir, is back. And he'll tell us how he sealed the deal by proposing to his wife in the middle of a grueling ride across Hungary. Those are the gems that will keep you traveling for the rest of your life. Thanks for being our Valentine today on Travel with Rick Steves. Romance is in the air this Valentine season, and if you've got a trip coming up or if you're dreaming about travel, why not merge a little travel and a little romance? Our phone number is 877-333-RICK. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Share your ideas about how to enjoy a little romantic travel. Debbie's on the line from Hopkinton, New Hampshire. Debbie, thanks for your call. Hi. Um, I would love to suggest Bruges, Belgium as a place for people to go. I think it's incredibly romantic. I went there when I was 16 years old with my parents and always wanted to return. So uh, two years ago, I returned with my family. And it's just an amazing place. It has a quiet nature to it. Um, The Flemish architecture is just beautiful in its simplicity. You can walk down cobblestone streets. Uh, You can take canal rides. You can taste exquisite chocolates at these little family shops. It's a wonderful place for evening strolls. It's just like time stood still somewhere about 500 years ago. And it has a wonderful square in the center and it's a large area that is really historically accurate. It's, uh, the food is wonderful. I really can't say enough about it. I just think it's a wonderfully romantic place. It's not going to excite the same type of people who would want to be in the middle of London. Um, this will be a place where you can have long conversations, enjoy a cup of coffee, and just really enjoy each other. You know, you're absolutely right. You're describing that like you were just there with a special partner. I mean, going into those little family chocolate shops and having the the woman who's made this in her family for generations pop a fresh chocolate into your mouth. It's amazing. Taking a walk after dark. I mean, you know, there's a lot of tourists in the main square, but you walk four or five blocks in any direction, and you get yourself into this fanciful, cobbled wonderland, don't you? Oh, and there's a convent or something there that you have to go through the gates in order to get in. Oh, yeah. If you go there in the springtime, the grass is filled with um, bulbed flowers, just the entire grass, and it's quiet, and they ask you to stay quiet, and you have to walk through the swans in order to get there, and you can go on a wonderful carriage ride. You know, I think it would be great to pop the question. I think it would be great to fall in love there, but you know, we're just about to celebrate our 25th anniversary, and it was equally as wonderful for us. You know, you've got it. Yeah, that, I think it's a great spot. Uh, you're onto something there. That, that convent you're talking about is the Bigonage, and that's a, oh. a, sort of a communal um, living area for all of the uh, extra women in society back in the old days when a lot of men went off to war and didn't come back and so on. And it's today this very peaceful place where a lot of pensioners live. Historically, the church gave people, uh, the widows, land if they would pray for the, the well-being of the soul of the big shots in the town, you know. And today, that sort of business is sort of faded away, but it's a quiet, peaceful zone. As you said, you've got to walk over the bridge, past all the swans, to get yeah. into this glorious, peaceful, uh, wispy courtyard. And then when you leave, you can stand on the top of the bridge and watch the boats going under the bridge and the swans doing their thing. And, and just across the way, you can hop onto a, a horse and buggy carriage and take a little trip along the back streets of the town. It's, it's magical. 
And the Belgian waffles are unbelievable. Those are just fun. To, we were there when it was a little bit cold outside, and it was just great to sit, and the kids really enjoyed that, and it was, it was terrific. And, you know, with the high cost of travel these days, you go into a pub in Bruges, and they just serve a good hearty bowl of spaghetti with the best beer in all of Europe, the Belgian beer. And you've got this incredible <laughs> atmosphere, this wonderful ambience for you to just enjoy a cozy evening. You feel like you're in a Rembrandt or a Vermeer painting. Yes, you do. It's, it's magical. You know, I remembered it from when I was 16. I went back there, and it was at least as nice, and we planned to return at some point. And then right on the main square, you can rent a bicycle for 6 or 8 $10, and then within 15 minutes, you're out in the countryside, biking along a canal, out past a working windmill to a town that is just a pint-sized version of Bruges called Dama. Oh, I didn't know that. So there's lots to do in Bruges. We're talking about Bruges in Belgium. Bruges is sort of the time warp city. It was a very important power in its day back in the uh, Northern Renaissance, but then its harbor silted up, and it was sort of mothballed and rediscovered in the modern age, the Romantic age, and people recognized this as really one beautiful romantic destination. Debbie from New Hampshire, thanks. That's a great idea for uh, a romantic way to splice in something special on your next trip. Wonderful. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Yeah, bye-bye. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're enjoying the spirit of Valentine's, and we're talking romantic travels. Our phone number, 877-333-RICK. That's 877-333-7425. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. And we've got Liz on the line from Aston, Pennsylvania. Liz, thanks for your call. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, you've got some ideas for romance far away from home? Yes, um, I actually just got back from a trip to China, and um, one of the most romantic cities, and this took me by surprise, was actually Shanghai. And they have this beautiful area called the Bond, where sort of this old-world European architecture meets some of the most modern buildings, I think, in the world over this river. And if you go to the Bond at night, um, they light up all this architecture, these beautiful old Victorian banks that were settled by French and English and German settlers, uh, in the 1800s, and they illuminate this gorgeous river, but across the way you have these fantastically large and new skyscrapers. They look like out of a, a movie. They don't even look real, like the, the Pearl Tower. And all this being illuminated, it's just gorgeous to walk around the river. There are a lot of restaurants that you can eat at the Bund over wine, and you can see this beautiful scenery where you see this clash in Asia of, of the modern world and the old world. You know, that is such a good observation. When you go to Shanghai, I went there just to see the skyline. I mean, as you said, this incredible fairy tale skyline right out of some futuristic movie, and it's all beautifully lit at night on the bend of the river, and I enjoyed actually going into those skyscrapers. There were office parks, and they would have big public areas in the middle and huge extravagant waste of space inside, and you could ride the elevator up to the very top, and just an incredible experience to enjoy the most over-the-top skyline, and then just over the river, you've got the Bund, B-U-N-D, and you said that was the traditional old-fashioned cozy architecture. Is that right? There's a lot of beautiful Art Deco buildings, any type you can think of. If you didn't look across the river, you may actually think that you were in a European city instead of the middle of Asia. Well, thank goodness they're saving that Bund district because I know that in Shanghai, they're throwing up the equivalent of one skyscraper a day when you consider, you know, cubic yards of uh, new construction. I know a lot of great traditional building was, was bulldozed to make room for those skyscrapers, but they apparently have chosen to preserve a, a little bit of their architectural heritage. And then you've got that nice romantic oasis of cozy old-fashioned buildings from where to enjoy that most striking skyscraper skyline, I think, anywhere on the planet. It's beautiful and, and unbelievable to see. All right, Liz, thanks very much for your call. Thank you, Rick. Levon is on the phone from Redondo Beach, California. Levon, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good. What's your idea for a little romance in your travels? Just a couple of years ago, actually, I took my girlfriend to uh, Paris with the uh, strict intention of uh, proposing to her at a very specific spot, and I did just that. And I have to say, it's been stories galore since then. It was, it was a big hit. Um, so in terms of an idea for a, a romantic thing to do, I definitely suggest if someone is thinking a popular question, go into what they feel is a very romantic spot in Europe. The setting is always perfect, needless to say. And B, it's a great excuse to make sure you go back for anniversaries. Oh, that's a it's good idea. It's like insurance that you're going to go back. <laughs> so how did you choose the spot? Actually, I went to Europe for the first time uh, about six months prior, 
I went to London and I went to Paris. And when I was in Paris, I uh, went to Versailles. I made sure to visit the garden, and before I knew it, I had spent hours in the garden just roaming around. There's that Temple of Diana there, that Temple of Love. Yes, yes, which is beautiful. Um, Did you? You're, that's out of bounds, isn't it? I don't think tourists can go there. No, no, but I, I've seen photos, and I, I've been Versailles crazy since I went there. Every day I learn something new about Versailles online or, or at the library. So you chose to propose to at Versailles? Yeah, I took her to uh, the garden there, and you know, I'd done my research in advance. I rented a little rowboat. And uh, took care of it right there, basically. And it was stunning. You know, it, it was perfect. The weather at the time of day was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to Versailles. Did you tour the palace or did you just take care of business? Keep in mind, she had no idea what my plans were and she had no idea what a time schedule I had us on for that day. Um, the first thing she wanted to do was go to the palace. And I kept saying, let's go to the garden first. Let's go to the garden first. There's a lot of romantic art in that palace. And then you go out into the, into the backyard. And I'll tell you, that backyard of Versailles has got to be the most impressive example of megalomaniac divine monarch royalty ar- around. You've got this garden that just stretches as far as the eye can see. And Louis, the sun king, had these fake uh, canals, like Venetian canals dug. He actually imported gondolas from Venice with gondoliers to you know pull around the canals and sing their Italian romantic songs. And that romance survives to this day. And instead of aristocrats and royalty doing their frolicking in the, in the gardens, we've got all of us commoners going out there. And today, anybody can rent a, a rowboat and get out into the middle of that Louis XIV Doug Canal and enjoy a romantic moment with your favorite travel partner. That's right. That's exactly what we did. You know, one of the most romantic places when you get as far as the canal is to go further to the Petit Hameau, the little hamlet of Marie Antoinette. You know, Marie Antoinette kind of was bored and tired and exhausted of the rigors of royal palace life. And her favorite time would be to escape to the backyard and out to this fake peasant hamlet where she would tend her perfumed sheep in her manicured gardens and pretend she was a, a sweet little peasant girl. And that, that peasant hamlet survives to this day, and I find that a very romantic place with the notion of the poor little rich girl, the queen out there, wishing she was just a simple common girl. That's right. We had actually tried to go there afterwards, and uh, that's exactly when it started raining. We got off the boat. I was dazed. She was dazed. I couldn't believe I pulled it out. She couldn't believe this had happened. And we finally got our heads together and said, we're still at Versailles. we got to take advantage of this. <laughs> oh, that's great. I can yeah, just yeah. see the, the uh, conflict there. Uh, we just got engaged. But wait a second. There's another palace just over yeah, here. Exactly. When are we going to be back? <laughs> well, it sounds like you got yourself a good travel partner there. I do. All right, Levon. Thanks a lot for sharing that. Thank you. Nice talking. Brian in Seattle emailed us. He writes, this past summer while laying out in the sun in Il Campo in Siena, I proposed to my girlfriend, what other romantic places in Italy would you suggest? And don't say a gondola in Venice. Well, I'll tell you, Il Campo, in the main square in Siena, that's a beautiful place to propose to somebody. Um, other romantic places, I would say, I love Siena. You got it there, Siena, Brian. Also, in the north of Italy, the Lakes District is very romantic, and my favorite lake is Lake Como, Lago di Como. They call that honeymoon country, Luna di Mille in Italian, I believe. And it seems like every other traveler on Lake Como is is celebrating a honeymoon or an anniversary. My favorite town on Lake Como, Varena, V-A-R-E-N-N-A. I guess you could say that today's special guest is actually Cupid, as our listeners suggest their favorite destinations for romantic travels on Travel with Rick Steves. Where were your most memorable travels, where the spark of romance burned the brightest? We're at 877-333-7425. And by email, it's radio at ricksteves.com.
In this romantic season with Valentine wishes floating all around, travelers are thinking about romantic destinations. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Today, we're talking romance in Europe, romance all over the world. Good place for a honeymoon, good place for an anniversary, good place to take your special travel partner, places to kiss, good spot to pop the question. We've got lots of callers. We've got lots of ideas on how to splice in a little romance into your travels. 877-333-RICK. That's our phone number, 877-333-7425. Or you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. And Patricia's on the phone in Germantown, Ohio. Patricia, thanks for your call. Well, thank you. And uh, I haven't talked to you uh, since the year we saw you on the front step of St. Peter's cathedral in rome you and your wife that was you we saw on the front steps of saint peter's that's we're the the geriatric couple abroad oh my goodness well <laughs> I, I hope you had a good time in rome and uh, you got some ideas on uh, romantic evenings in italy we took your suggestion and we went to the foreigners club in uh, sorrento and i guess like most romantic things you don't really plan ahead for them and actually i don't think you can repeat it but the night we were there, uh, we were sitting out on the terrace of the Foreigners Club, and as night fell, they were having sort of an international weekend that weekend, and the sky was just lit beautifully with fireworks. And we got our first introduction to Limoncella. Oh. <laughs> and uh, there was a lovely orchestra playing, and uh, even though my husband doesn't really like to dance that much, he was truly inspired. <laughs> And we had a wonderful, wonderful romantic evening. In fact, we just kind of danced our way right off the floor. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? For our listeners, let's paint a picture a little more clearly here. We're in Sorrento, which is that romantic resort about an hour south of the urban jungle of Naples. That's correct. And uh, Sorrento has been a sort of a romantic gathering point ever since the 19th century, I think, for European travelers. And they have this foreigners club taking the best real estate in town with a terrace overlooking the, the Mediterranean and you've got the waiters in their vests or their little formal attire, and you got the orchestra playing, and you got the stars, and you got somebody bringing you a little of that lemon liqueur, lemoncello. Yes. All the ingredients are there. Absolutely. And what was interesting to us, we tried repeating it a few years later, and it was, it was very enjoyable, but it just wasn't the same. Sometimes the magic is hard to rekindle, isn't it? I think it is. You know, I think it is. Uh, Patricia, every time I go to Sorrento when I'm updating my guidebook, I schedule in just a little um, a coffee break or a, a tall glass of juice or something at the Foreigners Club. And there's some old world, old English kind of elegance there. And it's hard for me to get going again once I settle down into the Foreigners Club there on their terrace enjoying that. You know, it's one of the most romantic bits of the Mediterranean uh, coastline is that Amalfi Coast area south of Naples and the beautiful town of Sorrento, which is your springboard for a multi-exploration. We went on farther south. We got as far as Amalfi, and uh, we just loved it there. It was one of the places where, even by myself in the evening, I felt perfectly comfortable walking around. And the irony is you're right next to Naples where you probably wouldn't feel very comfortable. Absolutely not. Uh, one of our fellow passengers had their wallet lifted yeah. <laughs> uh, on our trip down past Naples and on down to Sorrento. Actually, but, uh, on the train from Naples to Sorrento? Yes. we were. Uh, How did getting, I know? <laughs> we were, I know. Well, you had warned us. As we were all boarding the train, there was like someone created kind of a diversion, yeah. kind of pushing and shoving. And uh, oh boy. unfortunately, as we went on, the man said, oh my gosh, my wallet's gone. You know, when there's a diversion, when there's pushing and shoving, uh, if there's anything that sort of distracts you, there's probably a thief team at work. I always say if you're, if you're in the underpass there in, in Rome and an old lady falls down the escalator, hey, stand back. She's part of a thief team. <laughs> it's just a distraction. Probably so. And there's a jostle here and a bump there and somebody, some tourist most likely, has lost their wallet. i got to say, some older tourist, most likely. If you're a thief, you know that the older traveler is going to have more money and be less likely to run after you. Well, I never carry a purse. I always just, everything's on me, and I just carry what I need for the day. Good for you. I've read a lot of your suggestions, and we even, we've chuckled that when we leave the train station, we try to look like we know where we're going, even if we don't. (laughs) You know, next time you're on that train, Patricia, next time you're on that train from Naples to Sorrento, sit in the front car with the engineer, with the guy who's driving the thing. 
that's where you'll be uh, in, in more of a, a protected area, and, and you'll be less likely to be accosted by those young thugs that, you know, they're not going to knife anybody, but they're, no. they're going to overwhelm some frightened visitor and grab their purse and be on their way, and, and uh, you know, it's just an unfortunate thing. Thank goodness you made it to Sorrento, and you had a very romantic memory with your husband. Well, we appreciate uh, the type of advice you give people because we would never have known about the Foreigners Club, probably. Yeah. Oh, I love that place. I'm thankful it's there. Thank you, Patricia, from You're Germantown. You're welcome. We really, really have enjoyed your books and your programs. Well, continued romantic travels with your husband. Well, we're 74 <laughs> and 72. We're still going. Good for you. Well, okay. keep it up. And Jean is calling us from Glen Ellen, Illinois. Hi, Jean. Thanks for the call. Hi, Rick. How you doing? Good. Got any uh, memories from your travels when it comes to the spirit of Valentine? Oh, I, I definitely do. Uh, my wife and I, for our 20th anniversary, went to Italy for 12 days, and the best part was we went to uh, Cinque Terre. Oh. We did the, you know, came in through the south, and we hiked up to Vernazza. We didn't go the whole way. But just the spectacular views, get to Vernazza. We literally got an apartment from somebody. So you literally call something a cell phone in the piazza and look for them, and go down, watch the sunset, drinking the local white wine, which is fabulous. And then we went to uh, eat at the highest-priced restaurant in Vernazza, which, of course, wasn't wasn't that expensive. And we're sitting there eating, and I always order the local fare, and there it was Tian Vernazza, which is anchovies caught that day, mm. you know, sliced potatoes, olive oil, tomatoes, local spices. And then all of a sudden we realize we're, we're like going, mm, oh, mm. And then we look around, and everybody in the restaurant is making the same sounds as they're eating their meals. And we all start cracking up. The food was just so fabulous and just such a beautiful, beautiful town. It was, it was a wonderful experience. And the hike, just incredible along, along the coast. So, Gene, were you in the actual the restaurant in the castle there? Uh, no, we were actually down on the quay. On the, har- um, oh, on the quay? Down, yeah. What, was it in the fortification there, or was it one of the restaurants by the, uh, where, the, where the dinghies are pulled up on the beach? It was by where the dinghies are. Okay, yeah. So you were in the... Um, Gambero Rosso, probably. That sounds like it. That sounds like the one. Yeah, and you were enjoying pesto where it was invented, and they yes. served that with a with a wonderful yeah. sort of flair. Well, I mean, the olive oil, everything, the white wine, the, the anchovies, everything was just like right there and fresh. It sounds like a perfect storm of uh, everything you want to happen for a nice romantic dinner. Yes, and the hike made it all the better because by the time you got there, you were ready to really uh, enjoy a good meal. Now, what I like to do is just borrow a glass and take my last glass of wine out on the breakwater. And they're that's all, what we did. Did they let you do that? That's that's so cool. And then you just sit there and you get away from uh, you know the restaurant scene and it's just you and your travel partner and the, the sound of the waves. And then you look inland and you see all the terraces blanketing the hillsides and this medieval town that has not changed a bit in centuries yep. strutting out before you. Yep, it was just it was just beautiful just to sit there and relax and you know watch the sunset and everything. And then after dark, you can turn around the other direction and you can look at the lampura, the the lamps of the anchovy boats way out at sea, and they they bob up and down, they disappear in the waves, you know. And then sometimes you don't realize that those are the guys out there fishing at midnight with their lamps, attracting all the anchovies. And the next night, another group of people are going to be at the Gambero Rosso enjoying their anchovies with their pesto and their fresh pasta. Yeah, we saw we saw them rowing out into the sunset. It was, it was just like you think about going out in these little boats, and then out in the distance, you could see all the cruise ships too, just sitting yeah. out there with the lights. Romantic so. images, and you're talking about the Cinque Terre. That's our favorite chunk of the Italian Riviera there in the north part of the Italian coastline, just a couple yep. hours from Florence, and there you get, you know, you have to go to a little length to get there. It's hard to get your car there, but you, uh, you did you take the train in? Oh, we took the train every place. The only place we drove was in Tuscany because that was worth it to take a car in Tuscany. Right. That but, makes sense. yeah, you, you basically have to make a switch at uh, Spezia from yeah. uh, the, the line from Florence up there. But it's, it's not too bad. Now, you used your cell phone, Gene, to make the reservation. And then when you got into town, you just went down to the main square and, and called them. And they came and met you and took you to their apartment? What I did was, was I made the reservations on the Internet. And then oh. when I got there, that was how I found the person because, you know, there's no... Address, house number or yeah. you know sign or anything. So you just call them in the piazza and you see somebody pick up and you know that's that's the right person. <laughs> Thank goodness for cell phones because I couldn't find one of those little apartments in the honeycomb of medieval Vernazza oh, if I had to. Our uh, bathroom was carved into the cliff. I wow. mean, it, it was, you know, it was just like this little cave. In the, it, was, it was beautiful, but it was just like cave in the cliff. And you were probably a stone's throw away from the steeple of the church, and I bet you're thankful that the new priest agreed not to ring the bells between midnight and 7 a.m. 
Well, you know, it's kind of funny because one of the things I learned in Italy is you're going to wake up early because they're going to ring the bells anyway. You've got to get up with the bells. Well, there's this huge uh, celebration of bells. I think it's 7 o'clock, and that's when it's, uh, okay, time to get up. Uh, And then if you're lucky, you can go down to the market and see all those fresh anchovies for sale. Where the uh, Yeah, yeah, well, we we left early in the morning, so we saw them bringing all the anchovies Mm. and and fruits and vegetables and everything in for the next day. It was was quite a nice uh, walk up to the train early in the morning. Wow, you sound like a good traveler, Gene. Thanks for sharing your romantic slice of your uh, Italian adventure. Take care. We have Dino on the line in Talmadge, Ohio. Thanks for your call, Dino. What do you have in mind for romantic travels? Oh, I'll tell you. My lady friend and I visited twice Positano, the Amalfi Coast, uh, the island of Capri, and we felt it was just one of the most romantic, uh, most picturesque areas of uh, Italy that we had been to. Uh, of course, we have visited Rome and Florence, and uh, I heard the previous caller talk about the Cinque Terre, and we like those areas as well, but I'll tell you, the Amalfi Coast, there's nothing like it on the earth. Wow. It's one of the most romantic drives I've ever encountered, uh, going south of Sorrento along that rugged coastline. You know, the first view of Positano in the distance, it's its just really dramatic, isn't it? It, it, is, it is incredible. I mean, with each turn and little switchbacks in the road, more and more of the town becomes visible, and I, it's just breathtaking is what it is. I... <laughs> My lady friend, we got up in the morning and the sun was out, of course. We stepped out onto our mm. uh, little terrace. We stayed at Il, Il Marincanto. In Positano. In Positano. Yeah. It's just a beautiful vantage point uh, mm. to see the major portion of Positano tucked into the cliffs and the hillsides that uh, go down to the Mediterranean. But, I mean, she stepped out on the terrace there and she turned around to me and she says, this is just like heaven. <laughs> it, you know, Positano is very romantic, and every hotel that I've encountered there really knows the importance of, of, of creating a nice atmosphere for their visitors. There's not a lot in Positano except for the atmosphere and the little boutique shops and the overpriced restaurants. And, you know, you can put up with the uh, prices and the aggressiveness because it's just a, a magical experience, isn't it? Oh, it, it definitely is. She did her share of shopping in that little town, and uh, bought some clothes, like you say, some dresses and so on. But I just had a wonderful time. It was magical. And in the evening, because most of the town is uh, pedestrian, it was just such a romantic place. I mean, walking around, uh, encountering other tourists as well as the other locals, a casual, leisurely kind of way to spend an evening. Um, Couldn't recommend any other place higher. Well, I would say Positano is my favorite town on the Amalfi Coast. The Amalfi Coast has got to be one of the most romantic chunks of the Mediterranean coastline, and it's romantic not just for tourists. It's romantic for locals, too. You have enough money, and I have enough money to stay in a nice hotel. Some of the kids go there from Italy, and I know it's romantic for them because every pullout along that road... This is a little crude, but I'll tell you, along every pullout on the Amalfi Coast, you'll find something you won't find anywhere else in Europe. Used mm-hmm. condoms. Used condoms just littering <laughs> the pavement. This is <laughs> You enjoyed your balcony? Well, any kid going out for a late-night date, they're at least uh, a little bit of safe sex there, enjoying the romance of the Italian coastline. Dino, thanks for your call. Thanks, happy Valentine's Rick, and thanks Day. for all of your uh, guidance. We, we love it. Okay, happy travels. Bye-bye. We're at 877-333-RICK. And by email, it's radio at ricksteves.com. Guardi il mare come bello Spiran tanto sentimento Come il tuo soeve accento Che me and Maggie's on the phone in Oswego, New York. Maggie, got any ideas on romance in your travels? Well, uh, about 10 years ago, my husband took me to Rome for our 20th wedding anniversary, and it is without a doubt one of the most beautiful romantic cities we've ever been to. Now, you are a good traveler to not be overwhelmed by the intensity of Rome and to call it a romantic destination. How is Rome a romantic destination? Well, speaking of intensity, we did Rome in five days, but my husband... Um, He's kind of a very reserved mathematician type. So when we went to Rome, 
I was really surprised to notice that he was holding my hand. Every single day, everywhere we went, my husband was holding my hand, and this was such unusual behavior. And it wasn't until about probably the fourth day that I realized that I felt like my husband was probably holding my hand because he was afraid I was going to get run over stepping out into the Roman traffic. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So for five days, you thought you were on a romantic date with your husband. I, I thought I was just... All of a sudden, it was so alluring to him, and the romance had been rekindled, and it really was all about 30 Italians on Vespa's crossing the road. You know, I've never seen a silver lining in the, in the motor scooter cloud, but now I do. <laughs> Husbands hold their wife's hands lovingly as they navigate the streets of Rome, going from That's one great sight to the next. So when you were in Rome, did you uh, have any memorable meals, or what were the highlights for you? Well, what was nice about this trip was that my husband told me about it in August on our anniversary, and I had until November to plan. So I had read your books, and it's been so long I cannot remember the, the name of the place, but you had recommended a little family Italian restaurant where they had a fixed-priced menu. And my birthday was that week, so we went there for my birthday, and the owners came out, they kissed me on both cheeks, they wished me a happy birthday, and then walking back from this restaurant, my husband bought me a rose in one of the, the plazas, and it truly, truly was a very romantic city. I love Everywhere it. Everywhere we walked. Was that Palero, the restaurant Palero with Paola, the woman who has a towel wrapped around her head and there's no menu? That was the one. Oh, I love oh, it. Yeah. She is it so was, enthusiastic about you. You eat whatever Paola's cooking, and you sit down True. and... And she finishes it with a little bit of that mandarin liqueur. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And, and I just couldn't believe how friendly everyone was. I, of course, don't speak any Italian. I'm actually a native Texan, and we don't speak Italian usually. And um, everyone was just so friendly. They would go into the back room and get someone who would speak English. They, oh, yeah. They were very understanding of my attempts to speak whatatever I could. And, oh, it was just just a beautiful and, and, beautiful and that was trip. a beautiful neighborhood joint. I mean, she is a fixture there. And there, as I said, there's no menu. For 25 bucks. you get yourself a five-course dinner, including wine, and you're surrounded by Italians. And you walk in, though, and you feel like you are part of the neighborhood. You really are. You felt like you were welcome, like you lived around the corner. Well, you're, you're talking about the most sort of medieval and romantic corner of Rome. They're in the back mm-hmm. streets behind the Campo di Fiori. And yes. I, one of my favorite chores when I'm updating my guidebooks is just to prowl those back streets and find a little place like that. And then your husband was good enough to, when basically accosted by some Romanian selling flowers, he made it a plus, and he paid a couple of bucks for a rose, and he gave his wife a memory that <laughs> he made that, my day. that lasts to this really day. Did. So next time you see a, a gypsy out there selling flowers and uh, you feel annoyed that they've violated the, the privacy of your restaurant as they come in and they just walk all through the restaurant trying to sell this flower, spend a couple bucks. Buy your partner a, a rose. You've helped out that Romanian, and most importantly, you've given your Valentine a nice memory. Ten years later, it's still a special night. Ten years later. Boy, that's a budget tip right there. If all you care about is buying memories, <laughs> buy a rose. Thanks. He hasn't bought me flowers since, I will say, also. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, we're, we're enjoying Italy uh, with a little romantic angle, and uh, we're learning from our uh, experience. Thanks, Maggie. You're welcome. Enamorada de ti. Mi alma vive en ardiente pasión. My name's Rick Steves, and you're listening to Travel with Rick Steves. We're celebrating Valentine's Day with listener calls and emails about romantic travel destinations on today's edition of Travel with Rick Steves. You can write us anytime with your ideas at radio at ricksteves.com. Melanie from uh, Claiborne, Texas, emailed us. She says, my fiancé and I want a honeymoon in Europe in May, and we're having a hard time figuring out where to go. They've already been to Italy, so they want someplace else. Any suggestions on a good place to relax and enjoy European history and culture? Well, May, but not Italy. See, I think Italy is such a romantic place. And Lago di Como, Siena, Cinque Terre, they come to mind, Venice. Uh, But outside of Italy, my most romantic destinations would be maybe Hallstatt, two hours south of Salzburg. This is where the locals commune with nature up in the lakes. Gorgeous little town bullied onto a ledge between a mountain and it's kind of a fjord. Dingle Peninsula in the southwest of Ireland. 
Uh, it's a Gaeltac where you've got all this traditional Irish culture, great cuisine now on the west coast of Ireland, and the south coast of Portugal, very relaxed and romantic and sunny and great seafood, plenty of people that do creative things to help tourists have a good time, take you out fishing, hikes uh, in the interior and so on. Andrea in Bronxville, New York, emails us and reports that Panorama del Facciatone in Siena is by far the most romantic place in the world. After climbing those very tight spiral staircases to the very top, my husband proposed to me there with the Duomo and the Tuscan countryside as a backdrop. It was perfect, and a spot most tourists we saw didn't venture to. I couldn't be happier that we did. That's the Panorama del Facciatone in Siena. I believe that's the very top of the city museum. Uh, I forget the exact name, but if it's not, it's uh, another very romantic spot. You climb a tight spiral staircase to this platform above the city, and you look out over, well, the connoisseur of Italy's favorite hill town, Siena. Beautiful romantic notion from Andrea in Bronxville, New York. Marion's on the line in Little Rock, Arkansas. Hi, Marion. Hi, Rick. I've just returned from Italy, and... I have some questions about how are the hotel stars determined. In other words, I found some three-star hotels, uh, you know, very different in quality from other three-star hotels. And one four-star hotel, I think, was quite as nice as even a three-star hotel. So I was just wondering if they yeah. determine. You know, I wonder that also, because this is what I do for a living, is look at hotels, and any hotel will brag how many stars it has, and just like you, I look at this place and you go, you say you got four stars, but it just seems like two plus, you know? What's mm-hmm. going on? Um, in every country, they've got different regulations on how they can sort of standardize the quality levels of their hotels. And in Italy, it used to be, like in Spain, names. Uh, a pension was on level, a locanda, a hotel, mm-hmm. a residencia, and so on. And that would indicate to travelers, this place has a restaurant, this place is open 24 hours or whatever. Now they've pretty much discarded that, and they've gone to a star system. And there are certain technical checklists. I mean, do you have valet service? Do you have uh, showers in every room? What's the thread count on your sheets? Do you have a restaurant? Do you have room service? You know, all this. And I wouldn't rely on it too much because, as you said, you can find a three-star hotel that is better than a four-star hotel and would cost, obviously, less money. So I wouldn't get too hung up on that. I would say you get a general ballpark. To me, three- and four-star hotels are business-class hotels. One- and two-star hotels are traveler-class hotels. Mm -hmm. I like one- and two-star hotels from a value point of view if they are well-located and in a quiet and safe neighborhood. In the old days, everybody was worried about, do they have private showers and toilets? Nowadays, it's hard to find a room in Europe without a private toilet and a shower. Uh, They've all Mm -hmm. gutted their rooms and retrofitted them with this plumbing. There are a few hotels that, for structural reasons, cannot put an elevator in. And that puts a false ceiling on how many stars they can have. Consequently, they can't charge what they might otherwise be able to get. That's, to me, a very good value. Some of my favorite hotels are charming, family-run, small hotels. I like family-run because you know the people who are running the place or the people who own the place. They're not absentee owners that hire the cheapest labor they can, expecting them to come and go and not care about their work. This is a hard-working mom-and-pop team. Grandma's downstairs ironing the sheets. And it's just sort of like a family running it, and it feels much more intimate, and you feel good about the value they're offering you. And it might be a little rough-edged, and it might have stairways instead of elevators, but I think it's going to be a better value. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, to answer your question, difference between three and four stars, uh, to me, for somebody with my material needs, I, I can't imagine anybody needing more than three stars, frankly. If you get into four stars, you're paying... Extra money for lavish, grand, more than business class kind of stuff. To me, executive class uh, niceties. The way the dollar is right now and the way costs are in Europe, personally, I, I just can't recommend many four-star hotels. Marion in Little Rock, thanks for your call. Thanks so much. Sure. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's Stacy in Sacramento emails us and she writes, For our honeymoon, my fiancé and I have a wonderful trip planned. Our itinerary includes four days in England, seven days in Munich, and seven days in Paris. What are some of your suggestions for romantic places to visit during our trip? The less touristy, the better. Honeymoon in England, Munich, and Paris. 
for one thing, when you're on a honeymoon, you don't want to be going too fast, so I'd be careful not to be relocating a lot. Spend a little extra to get charming, small, family-run hotels that are more top-end. Enjoy the breakfast included in your hotel right there in a nice breakfast room. Get taxis when you want to get somewhere. You can have your hotel call a taxi, and it'll be waiting for you in front of your door, and hop in the taxi and get there sweat-free. In London, the south bank of the Thames River is newly uh, fixed up. I was just there. It's a wonderful stroll. Walk from Westminster Abbey, or go across the bridge, and then all along the south bank of the Thames until you get to the Tower Bridge down by the Tower of London. That's just the place to go for a late afternoon, early evening walk. Also, in London, they've got, of course, great theater. And if you want to pick up the What's On or the Time Out monthly periodical entertainment guide, spend some time paging through that and find out what you want to do to enjoy the cultural activities of London, and all of the restaurants in the district where all the theaters are have these wonderful pre-theater specials where you get two courses for about $25 in a, a nice environment for your dinner before your play. When you go to Munich, remember, this city is designed, it seems, lately for bikes. And if you get a sunny afternoon, rent a bike and go to the English Garden. It's one of the great parks in all of Europe, and there's plenty of romantic tea houses and beer gardens and so on in uh, the English Garden, and you can uh, tour that by bike. Do be careful, a lot of the local people are uh, sunbathing nude there, so a lot of Americans are ogling that to the degree that they're pedaling their bicycles into the trees. You can always tell the American tourist by those who are getting all excited about the local people sunbathing without their clothes on. If you want to go to a great art gallery in Munich uh, that takes you back to a romantic age, remember, if you go to Nymphenburg Palace, Nymphenburg, the whole notion is enjoying the love of life from a nymph's point of view, uh, the king, Ludwig, had painted the most beautiful women of the day in his Gallery of Beauties, and you can tour that and get a, a notion of what the king thought was particularly romantic back a couple hundred years ago. And a side trip from Munich, if you like, is to go to the Andex Monastery. That's a beautiful excuse to get down into the lakes just south of Munich, and it's a bit of a hike, a little bit of public transit, but you get to a monastery positioned in the dreamy, romantic, natural middle of nowhere with a beautiful church, best beer in Germany, and hearty food at Andex Monastery. When you get to Paris, you've got to remember, Paris is quite touristy. If you get the museum pass, you can get into all the sites in Paris without waiting in any lines. I think some of the most enjoyable things to do in Paris, from a romantic point of view, the most romantic museum, if you're into Monet, it would be the water lilies in the newly opened Orangerie, or you could go out to the Mamartan Museum for the best Monet paintings uh, for the whole post-Louvre sort of uh, 19th century art, uh, basically 1848 to the early 20th century. Go to the Musée d'Orsay, the Orsay Museum. It's just a delightful opportunity. The building was built as a train station, and it was an elegant restaurant there in the hotel at the terminus, and that restaurant survives, and it's a great chance to enjoy some turn-of-the-century elegance at Musée d'Orsay. My favorite square is the Place des Vosges, and there you can sit on a bench and enjoy just being part of the scene, the parents with their little kids in the sandbox, the lovers walking hand-in-hand, the retired pensioners uh, over there, and surrounded by the elegance of old Paris. That's the Place des Vosges, the most romantic square in town. I would remind you that the jazz scene is wonderful in Paris, and I love to go to a jazz club. That's a great evening. If you want a side trip, head on out to Versailles. We talked about that a minute ago, and uh, you'll check out the Petit Hameau, the little hamlet where Marie Antoinette would escape the rigors of everyday palace life to be a back-to-basics peasant girl. When you're back in Paris, a wonderful walk is the Promenade Planty. The Promenade Planty is an elevated train line that has been decommissioned, and now it's landscaped, and there's grass and gardens, and it's a long stretch where people take their walk, and it's a chance for you just to stroll elevated through Paris as if you're a temporary Parisian. At night, one of my favorite places to be late at night is on the Ile Saint-Louis, on the tip of that island. It's just perfect for sitting there with your special travel partner, enjoying the city of light all lit up. Paris. What a romantic place, along with Munich and London for your honeymoon. Best wishes, Stacy. Gail in Trabuco Canyon, California, emails us, and she writes, Without a doubt, the most romantic place in all of Europe is St. Mark's Square in Venice in the evening. Get an outdoor table at one of the cafes around the perimeter of the square, order a couple glasses of wine, and enjoy a night of musical showmanship from the dueling quartets and quintets around the square. It's timeless and fairy tale. Truly, la dolce vita. Wow, that's a beautiful thought, Gail. And you're right, the main square in Venice, the only square in Venice that merits the word piazza, it's a dominant square, and it is the ground zero for romance. You've got the dueling orchestras playing in the two venerable cafes, 
A lot of tourists complain about a $20 glass of wine there, but I'll tell you, you're not buying a glass of wine. You're renting a piece of the most uh, romantic real estate in all of Europe that comes complete with orchestra accompaniment. So uh, plan to sit a while. You can order one glass of wine or beer or a coffee and uh, while away the hours and enjoy the orchestra, enjoy the ambiance. And if you're a budget traveler, you simply stand in the middle of the square and you can waltz with your traveler as the orchestra strikes up the music and enjoy the same kind of beautiful atmosphere without spending a penny. Marnie in Winter Garden, Florida, emails us and writes, While traveling in the Italian Alps, my husband and I accidentally booked the wrong hotel and ended up in a little town called Calapietra, about 30 miles by bus from Bolzano. It was a small village off the beaten path with warm, friendly faces. We woke up to snow flurries, which was amazing to us Floridians, especially in Italy. I would recommend this town to anyone with a sense of adventure and willingness to take a bus to the switchback roads of the Italian Alps. That's the town called Colla Pietra, C-O-L-L-E-P-I-E-T-R-A, in the Dolomite. And I think Marnie is very good to point out that this region of Italy is really underestimated or underrated. It's the Alps of Italy. This is Alberto Tomba country. Uh, wonderful ski resorts, wonderful little towns, a, a heritage of uh, German culture because until World War I, I believe it was part of Germany. And then uh, as the Habsburgs lost their empire, the Italians got this part of the area between Austria and Italy and uh, suddenly it is ruled from Rome instead of Vienna. Cola Pietra for a little village near Bolzano in North Italy. Valentine's Day is upon us, and uh, I've got with me uh, my favorite adventure bicyclist, cyclist, Willie Weir, who uh, has some romantic adventures on the road with his wife, Kat, as he explores the world on two wheels. Willie, tell us a Valentine's tale from the seat of a bike. Well, actually, it doesn't start out too well, Rick. Uh, I had just asked my wife to marry me. I proposed to her in Hungary, in Budapest. She had joined me, and this was her first bicycle trip. So she had never traveled on a bicycle before, and she'd been regaled by all the stories that I had and whatever. And what I had forgotten is that there's a lot of times on the road where things are just boring and flat, but you don't tell those stories later. So we head off from Hungary, and we travel the first night, and she's been regaled by people inviting us in. And we get to the end of the day, and all there is is this swampy, mosquito-infested area off the side of the road where no places stay. We set up our tents, and... You know, we give a half pint of blood to the mosquitoes and we get up the next day and I look at Kat and she gets on the bicycle seat and I see her eyes and they just balloon to the size of oranges. And I said, can you describe what you're feeling? And she said, if it hurt any worse, I'd throw up. Now, she was telling me what it feels like to be somebody on the first day of a bicycle trip. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm in trouble. I mean, things need to change fast. We get through the next day, another swamp, another horrible tent experience. And I'm thinking, I don't have many days left before the person I've just asked to marry me is going to head home. We head into this little town. It's a little tiny Hungarian town. And I'm, I am desperate. I am looking for something to change. Going, You're going to lose we, this Yes, woman. exactly. And I come up into the, there's this church and there's this sign posted on the door. And it says there's going to be an event that night. But it's in Hungarian. It's in Magyar, the, the, the local language. So I have no idea. Could be a Boy Scout troop or whatever. But there's an event that night. And I say, Kat, let's stay in town and we're going to go to this event. Oh, and I'm just thinking, oh, please. So we stay. And the local priest says there's a place we can park our bicycles, you know, in the church. And we, we get there and we get in the back pew there. And, and at 7 o'clock, something's going to happen. And the few pews start to fill up. And finally, in walks in all of these men. And they walk up to the front of the church, and it ends up being an award-winning Italian men's chorus. The conductor lifted his hand, and that little church echoed with the most beautiful sounds I've ever heard. I mean, just goosebumps everywhere. Wow, this is fabulous. So we ended up after the concert. We were walking through the town, just looking around, and we went by this little restaurant. And we looked, and there was this long table. 
And we looked, and it was the entire men's chorus, and they were having dinner. And the conductor looked out, and he, and he waved us in. And he said, you're the, you're, the, you're the cyclist. And he was the one who spoke English. So we sat down to them, and the wine came out, and we, we had a dinner with this Italian men's chorus. And why I mentioned to this guy, I said, you know, by the way, I, I just asked, you know, Kat here to marry me, and we're going to get married. And, and I said, oh, that's very delightful. And one by one, these men got up from the table, and they walked out. And the manager and the conductor was the last to leave with us. And we walked out and looked out. And here was the entire men's chorus, and they'd formed a gigantic, like, half-moon circle around. There's just one lamplight and a little bit of moonlight shining down on this little restaurant. And the manager looks at me and says, it's your fault. (laughs) He said, we Italians, we are romantics. And you just said that you asked this woman to marry you? We must now sing for you. And the man lifted his hand. And they serenaded us in this little village in Hungary. And there was that moment when I reached down and I grabbed Kat's hand. And with tears in our eyes, we looked at each other. And not only with love in our eyes, but that moment of, can you really truly believe that we're here? And it's one of those moments that gets you through the swamps. And it gets you through the bug bites and the late trains or whatever you are as a traveler. Because those are the gems that will keep you traveling for the rest of your life. And your magic carpet was a bike? Uh-huh. It always is. And your bike partner is still Cat. Mm-hmm. My, right. my wife's name is Cat, and my cat's name is Dieter. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day to you and Cat. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Some of our listeners have recently sent us haiku they've written about their travels that we'd like to share with you. 12-year-old Marie Wright of Champaign, Illinois, offers us this colorful impression of Italy's Amalfi Coast. The aqua blue coast melts with misted green mountains, dotted with lemons. Peter Francev from Big Bear, California, has this practical advice. Honeymoon in Rome had those pesky traveler's checks. They're a waste of time. And Alexis Rotella from Arnold, Maryland is a true romantic with this haiku. Venice, dying, yet she lives on in the lover's kiss. Send us your original haiku poems about your travels. Details are in the radio section at ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Our website has more information about this and other programs in this series and a link to send us your submissions for our 15 Seconds of Fame department. It's in the radio section at ricksteves.com. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves.